Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So let me start out. Let me start with a really deeply spiritual question. So prepare your hearts. It's going to be heavy. Why are you laughing? Anybody here watch reality television? Hands up, be proud, be honest. You have in the past, you currently do. You like the drama of reality TV, whether it's uh, uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians or one of the Housewives shows. By the way, how are there multiple Housewives shows? They're all the same with just different accents around the country. Like maybe, maybe you watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette, some of y'all. Maybe you, you watch The Amazing Race or Survivor. Any of, these, any of these reality shows, hands up again. How many of you have watched them? By the way, I've, I added Amazing Race and Survivor so you wouldn't feel as embarrassed in raising your hand for the, the other trash because there's going to be a moment of prayer at the end for those of you who watch any Kardashian show. Uh, let, let me ask another question. Ladies, have any of you been able to successfully get your boyfriend or your husband to watch The Bachelor with you? Hands up if you've done the impossible around the room, across the campuses and home. A few of you have done it. Listen, scientists have spent millions of dollars researching this, and they have, they have some of the best minds in the country have compiled a list. There's three phases, three evolutions of what it looks like when, you're, when your boyfriend or your husband watches The Bachelor with you. And I want to give you this heavily scientific research. This stuff is brilliant. So here's, here's the three stages. The first stage is annoyed. And usually they're walking by the television and they say something like this. I don't know why you watch this trash. It's stupid. Right? Then there's a second phase and they go to intrigued. And at this point there's usually ice cream involved and they're saying something like this. Wait, these chicks are crazy. Catch me up. Tell me everything. I need to know the backstory. And then finally you reach peak bachelor watching and you're addicted. And usually it looks like this. If he chooses Ashley G over Ashley B, he's an idiot. She's clearly not here for the right reasons. And that's what it looks like when your husband's finally addicted to it. Now, why are, why are reality shows so addicting? Like, why do, why do so many people watch? Because it's drama, Right? There's so much drama. They show you just girls just bawling their eyes out. How could he not give me a rose? Or are you, they show you fights that you're like, how do human beings get to that point in life where it's like they're going to kill each other? How do they get there? They sell you on the drama. But how do they create the drama? There's a term called selective editing. Listen, they shoot hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage they follow these people around night and day for weeks at a time. And then editors go back behind the scenes and they decide what story they're actually going to tell. Do you know that? Like you don't actually know what happened on The Bachelor or Bachelorette or, or Keeping Up with the Whoever's or, or the Housewife shows. They only show you half the story. They only tell you about half the conversation. They don't show you the rest of the context. They only give you one perspective, and that perspective tells a very specific story. And I can assure you of this. If you watch reality TV, you don't know the whole story of what actually happened. Just what they wanted you to know. And today's Bible story that we're going to be sitting inside of, um, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard the story. 
but maybe you've not seen all the perspectives collected inside of this story. Because if you could see the whole of it, you would actually understand differently what God wants to, to teach us today and encourage us in today. So before we get to the real life drama of this story, I want to read it from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I want us to kind of see this story through this lens. The story is of a man named Zacchaeus. And if you know the song, don't sing it. I don't think it's culturally appropriate anymore to say, we little man. So here's the deal. There was once a man who didn't have any friends, none. Do you have any friends? Well, of course you do, but not Zacchaeus. Poor Zacchaeus didn't have any. You're probably wondering why. Was it because he was so short? That's not a reason not to like somebody. Was it because he had a name that was hard to say? Well, neither is that. Even though he was short and he did have a funny name, that wasn't it. No, people didn't like Zacchaeus because he stole their money. Zacchaeus collected taxes. Taxes were what people had to pay to the king. But Zacchaeus took more than he was supposed to and kept the extra money for himself and made himself rich. Everyone knew what he was up to, and it made them cross and grumpy. They didn't like Zacchaeus one bit. So they made sure he knew it by doing things like avoiding him and walking on the opposite side of the street and pretending not to see him and whispering things like, there's that nobody who thinks he's a somebody loud enough so that he could hear it. So you, you read the story through the lens of a Jesus storybook Bible, and it's, it's good. It's, it's factually correct, but there's, there's more drama and scandal underneath the story than you could possibly fathom. So I want to approach this story in a way I've, I've ever, actually never taught before. See, I got in this story, and I'm like, I've heard it a hundred times. And I've taught it probably five or six times, but I've never approached it from this perspective. I want to approach it like an editor of a reality TV show. It's not going to be weird. It's hopefully going to be helpful. I want to approach it. I want to splice this story up, and I want you to see the story three times, but through each person's perspective, the main characters in the story, and there's three main characters. There's Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus here across the campuses. There's Zacchaeus, there's the crowd, and there's Jesus. There's Zacchaeus, the crowd of people, and there's Jesus. And each of these people bring a different understanding to the story. But there's something that's true of all three groups. There's a historical context. I want to help you see this. You see, here's how the story starts. Chapter 19 of Luke, verse, verse 1. And here's what it says. Jesus, was enter, or Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So the, the story takes place in a city called Jericho. And this, story, this city was, was a rich and massive city, a beautiful city, but it was under Roman rule. See, the people in this city would have never remembered life before Rome had conquered them. The Roman Empire took over, and they were not kind to the people that they, they conquered. And they, they would levy unbelievable taxes on the people in order to fund their Roman conquests. And so people under Roman rule would be taxed out the ears it was a complicated and heavy existence. And now we're introduced to our first character. And that character is Zacchaeus. And so as I sit in this chair, this is sort of Zacchaeus's perspective of what was happening. And I'll have to slouch down because he was short, right? Zacchaeus. See, this man, we, we, we know some in Scripture from him. Here's what verse 2 says about him. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And when Zacchaeus was born, listen, his parents had huge hopes for his life. 
How do we know that? Because they named him Zacchaeus. That name means pure or righteous. See, when they prayed over that boy, every time they said his name and prayed over him, they were saying, God, would you help this, this, this little boy to grow up and be a man that's pure and righteous and upstanding and respected and honorable? And then we pick up the story as an adult for Zacchaeus, and he was anything but what his name meant. He was not pure. He was not righteous. It says right in that verse, he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. So he was a tax collector. He, he, he collected money from his own people, and he kept the extra for himself. He was rich. He was good at his job. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was good at his job. If there's anybody that I want to fail in my life, it's my tax collector, right? I want you to not be good at math and be like really oblivious to simple things, right? Don't look at all the details on the W-2. That's what I want. But Zacchaeus, he was good at what he did. And he would have used the, the, the muscle of the Roman army in order to hustle his own people and cheat them out of their money. And he got really rich. Now, how does Zacchaeus get to this point in his life? A Jewish boy raised in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, raised to know right from wrong. And we pick up his story as an adult, and he is not anything like what a godly man would look like. How do you get there? See, I've always heard it taught that Zacchaeus was sort of like bad from birth. Like he was just greedy his whole life. That's always who he was. It's always what he did. He was never anything different. What if that's not who Zacchaeus was at the start? Like the Bible doesn't give us his backstory or the progression of how he got here. So if any, any backstory we assign to him is somewhat of an educated guess, what if his rap of being bad always was actually not true. What if Zacchaeus started out idealistically? Like, what if his heart was right from the start? Like, I, I want to do good. I want to help my people. I don't want to be bad. What if Zacchaeus started becoming a tax collector for the right reasons? Think about it this way. He would have watched his parents and his neighbors and his people struggle under the weight of Roman taxes and the burden that would create for them. Almost everything in their life was taxed. It would have been so hard to get ahead financially. And what if as he watched Rome take advantage of his people, he said, I'm going to become a tax collector, but I'm going to do it to help my people. I've watched the other tax collectors take advantage and get wealthy and get rich. What if, what if I could do it and instead of ripping off my people, I actually charge them less than other tax collectors? Like, what if I could be the one that makes a difference? And he starts idealistically, but the problem is you start idealistically, and then you, the, the, the idealism starts to fade when, it, when it's met with the antagonism of people. Like, people still couldn't understand what he was doing. They didn't understand the pressures of the job, and they would have started to hate him and dog him and ostracize him. And what if in the journey of his life, it might have started idealistically, but as life went on, he sort of woke up and went, I'm trying to help these people, and this is how they treat me. All right, if you want to know what it feels like to get taxed, I'll show you what it looks like to get taxed. And he starts adding to the taxes and adding to the taxes until he wakes up one day and realizes, I'm just like every other tax collector. Like, what if he didn't start bad? Started in idealism and ended in cynicism, but that actually feels more like life works, doesn't it? 
Like very few of us start cynical. Like there's very few cynical three-year-olds or five-year-olds or 10-year-olds. They're, they're idealistic. They want the best. They want to become something good. They don't want to be ostracized and hated and greedy and, and cheating and stealing and lying. Like no one starts a marriage, hopefully. No one starts a marriage going, I hope to get divorced one day. Right? Like you start marriage with idealism. Till de- like the vows you make, till death do us part. You start there. And then sometimes you find yourself in a cynical place. Like you don't, you don't start parenting thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a distant and angry father who has no relationship with his kids. Like I don't, like when I held my baby, that's not where I started. You don't start school thinking, I'm going to drop out and not get my degree. Like you, you don't start a company and think, I'm going to eventually become the type of boss that takes advantage of my people and hurts them so that I can get rich. You don't start there. We start idealistically And then sometimes you can drift into becoming the very thing you never thought you could. Don't pretend like we've not been in this progression. So at the time of this story, we don't know exactly how Zacchaeus became who he was at this moment. But however he got there, he he became a man that was anything but his name. Pure and righteous. But then the story continues. And one day, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming. And he's like, all right, I got to go see him. Verse 3 says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He was curious. What, what would Jesus be like? What would he look like? He had heard the stories of miracles and the teachings he gave and the parables. And so Zacchaeus is curious. Why would he go look for Jesus? See, I'm sure Zacchaeus did not love what he saw when he looked in the mirror. You've had moments when you look in the mirror and go, I don't like who I'm becoming. That's where Zacchaeus was sitting. See, maybe he hoped that there was a way for him to get back to the idealism that he started his life with. Maybe he hoped there was a journey back to, to actually being able to live up to the name his parents gave him, but he just didn't know and didn't see a path back to it. Have you ever been, have you ever gotten yourself in so much trouble you don't know how to get back? Like my kids were, were we were at my, my daughter's volleyball game, and the boys were like, we're going to go down a path in the woods, we're going to go explore. It took about 12 minutes until they could not hear us yelling anymore. And they were so deep in the woods, they couldn't find their way back. My wife calls me and says, get out here. You're not feeling moms? And where she's sprinting through the woods. We finally find them getting back. They couldn't find their way back. I think that's where Zacchaeus was. Like, I would love to become who I always wanted to be, but I don't see a path back yet. And so he said, maybe this Jesus guy is a path back. But there were two problems. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but... Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he had two problems. First of all, the crowd hated him. Like he wouldn't have been able to walk on the street because for fear of getting punched or slapped or spit on or cussed at, he's been stealing these people's money. You would probably do the same thing. Not in church, but out there maybe. They hated him. They would never let him get to the front of the crowd to see Jesus. Also, he was short, so he couldn't see over top of them. He would have been standing in the back row. If you've been in the concert behind like a six foot eight guy, it's the worst. They should be forced to sit in the back row because the rest of us, we want to see. That's, that was Zacchaeus. How short was he? We don't know, but he was short enough that Luke thought it was important to record it in scripture for all of time. 
Zacchaeus was eternally short. That's how short he was. So listen, Pastor Kevin has talked about his height before. You've heard that. And you, you might not know this, but when he and I stand on stage together, I always stand about six feet behind him so that he doesn't look as short as he is. So I want to I show you for the first time an accurate picture of me and Pastor Kevin standing next to each other. That's, <laughs> it's not edited in any way. That is 100% accurate. So if I'm an average person back then, that would be Zacchaeus. That's an accurate picture. So how short was Zacchaeus? I don't know, but he was short. This might be the last time you hear my voice at this church. It's been a, it's been a blast, guys. It's been a blast. So what does he do? He has not a lot of options. What does he do? So it tells us in Scripture. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Luke is one of the authors that adds a lot of detail. I love this about him. He actually gave us this specific tree, a sycamore fig tree. The guys are going to put a picture of that behind me. This was very important to understand for two reasons. First, if you can see the picture, go ahead and throw it up. You can see it's a really interesting tree. We don't have these here in, in Georgia. I don't know where you are in the world, but we don't have these here. But there's two things that are true about this tree. First, the branches are low enough that even Zacchaeus could get to the first branch to start climbing it. That's important. Secondly, there are dense leaves on the tree which would have created a place for Zacchaeus to hide. See, he carried the shame of all the people he cheated, all the lies he, he committed, all the people he hurt. And so when he went in public, it was like he wanted to disappear. And those leaves created a hiding spot for him so that he could hide. No one could see him, but he could still get his eyes on Jesus. And then something happens that shocked everybody. Zacchaeus is sitting up in that tree waiting to see Jesus pass. And then he realizes Jesus is like looking at this tree. And he's like, let me make sure the leaves are in the right spot. And he's peeking through a crack. And, and they make eye contact. Have you ever made eye contact with a stranger? And you're like, you look away. And then you look back. And they're still looking. You're like, he's, I'm going to die right now. This is bad. So Zacchaeus is watching Jesus. And Jesus walks straight to him. And he's going, I'm about to get it. Like all the things I did bad, this is my day. He's about to take me out. He's about to cuss me out. He's about to throw me out of the city. And then here's what Jesus says. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. If this was a reality show, it would have been like dramatic music in the background. Like this was unheard of. First of all, Jesus found him where he was hiding. Second of all, Jesus knew his name. Never met him before, knew his name. Third, he wanted to go to his house. Zacchaeus' mind was blown. This was dramatic and scandalous. And again, if this was a reality TV show, it would hit a commercial right now. And unfortunately, it would probably be a political ad, and both candidates would like just be yelling at each other, so don't, don't think about that. But there'd be a commercial, and they'd, all the drama and suspense, you're, you're going, what's going to happen? But I want to step into the second perspective, and that's of the crowd. See, the crowd would have experienced all the weight of the Roman government, all the taxes, all, all the, the money that came in, how much of it had to go back out to the Romans. If you were a Jewish family in this city, it was a complicated existence. 
See, people would grumble and complain about the heavy taxes. And they got smart and they started to like hide their money. They'd tuck it here and there. They wouldn't report how many fish they caught that day. They would, they would write down less of the crops than they actually harvested so that they could actually survive. But the Romans got smart about this, and they, they figured out this little scheme. So they, they said, we have to get people that know how these Jewish people work. So they started to hire people on the inside to be tax collectors. Think about this. They started to hire Jewish men who knew where all the money was hidden to be tax collectors to rip off their own people, their own friends, neighbors, and family. This would have taken a really special person to be willing to do that. Can you imagine you're living in the neighborhood you're living in right now, and suddenly you go to the Roman government and go, yeah, I'll do, I'll, I'll take that job. And the next day, you knock on your neighbor's house and go, all right, Give me your stuff. And they go, what are you doing, Bill? And Bill's like, I'm a tax collector now. Welcome to my life. I want your TV. Like, it would not go well. These people would have hated these Jewish men who were selling out their own people. Here's just a, a, a snapshot of all the taxes that Rome would, would levy against these people. You'd have a poll tax, an income tax, an import tax, a road and harbor tax, a fish tax, a ground tax, a cart tax, and it was based on how many wheels your cart had. So a wheelbarrow was 50% off because it only had one wheel, right? Like, it was cheap. Like, it was crazy. All these tax, everything you did was taxed. Some of y'all are like, that feels like April 15th. Let's just, let's just chill for a sec. I get it. And then after all these taxes, the tax collector was allowed to add however much more on top of that that he wanted to make himself rich. Like imagine paying all that. Then this punk goes, I'm going to take an extra 5, 10, 15% off the top. Why? Because daddy wants a boat. That's, that's why. Think how quick you would be angered by this person. Like they didn't just not like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the person keeping them from their future they wanted. The dreams they wanted, paying off their house, getting out of debt, being able to afford food for your kids in some cases. And the Jewish people, the crowd, would sit and talk with each other and go, this is our existence? I thought we were God's chosen people. What about the promises God made to us? See, in the Old Testament, God promised the crowd, his Jewish people, that he would send a Messiah someday to come save them. And so they began to think what the Messiah would be is that God would finally send the person that's going to come and overthrow the Roman government, and the Messiah would become the new king, and he would establish his own earthly kingdom. They would be free from the Roman tyranny, and then the, the new Messiah would take the Jewish people from the bottom of the pile to the top of the pile, and they'd finally be free. They'd finally be in charge. They'd finally be in control. So when they hear about Jesus showing up to town, they were excited. They're thinking it's finally happening. The Messiah is coming. People say this Jesus guy is the Messiah we've been waiting for. And he's coming to finally remove this Roman government from us. We can finally be free. And so when Jesus walks up to Zacchaeus, this is their response. It's happening. They're going to take this guy out who's been stealing from us. Jesus is going to start with Zacchaeus. By Zacchaeus. Later, wouldn't want to be a, right? Like, that's what they were thinking. And Jesus calls his name, Zacchaeus. And they're going, send down lightning from heaven, Jesus, 
strike him right where he sits. And then Jesus goes, him, come into your house to hang out today. What? Jesus, what are you doing? That's not what you're supposed to. You're supposed to remove the people that hurt us. It's why Luke says in verse 7, he wanted to make note that all the people saw this and began to mutter. He, being Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And they could not wrap their head around what Jesus was doing. See, Zacchaeus and the crowd both came looking for Jesus, but for very different reasons. And then the dramatic pause in our reality show of Zacchaeus and another commercial break. And you go, what in the world? How is this story going to play out? And we sit in the last perspective of the story, and obviously the most important one being Jesus, and that's that Jesus came to earth on a mission. He didn't come just to preach good sermons or tell good stories or heal people, although those were important. That's not why he came. Jesus didn't just come to show kindness and help people, although that was a beautiful part of his story. Jesus came to bring the world good news. If you didn't know this, the word gospel means good news. He came to tell the world, listen, God's about to do something new. And I have to tell you about it. And you have to understand what God is about to do. And Jesus would have known as he walked into Jeru uh, to Jericho, Jesus would have known my time on earth is coming to an end. This was the last city that Jesus was going to stop at before he went the 17 miles to Jerusalem where he would eventually be betrayed by Judas. He would be beaten and he would be flogged and he would be tried and convicted and hung on a Roman cross and he would die. That's about to happen in the next few weeks. This is one of Jesus' last moments on earth. And we know by the stories that Jesus told called parables that, that Jesus wanted people to understand what God's kingdom was really going to be like. And as we can see from the other two perspectives, there's some confusion about what Jesus was supposed to do and what God's kingdom was going to look like. The perspectives they had were off. So Jesus is telling things called parables where he'd say, the kingdom is God, of God is like then he would tell a story that was made up, but the story was meant to help people see more clearly what God was really doing. He'd tell stories like the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, just revealing God's heart to go seek and find lost things. And today, as Jesus' time on earth is winding down, he's like, I want to make sure you don't miss what God's really doing. And so today, Jesus would show people what God's kingdom was really like. Instead of telling another story, he was going to live it out. He was going to say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. So in one of Jesus' final acts on earth, he looks up into a fig tree, and he calls the name Zacchaeus. Think about this. This might be the first time that Zacchaeus heard his own name said in love and compassion since his own mother said it. His name would have been like a cuss word on the streets, that stinking Zacchaeus. I hate that guy. And suddenly he hears his name, Zacchaeus. Mind blown for him. Why? Because Jesus actually loved him. and said, I'm going to your house today. And Jesus was not confused about who Zacchaeus was. 
He knew everything he had ever done. Jesus wasn't confused about what the crowd thought of Zacchaeus. He knew what they felt. He heard the mutters. He heard the whispers. He heard people talking. He knew. This was not a mistake. Jesus was making a point. See, today, the kingdom of God is like Jesus going to eat at an evil sinner Zacchaeus' house. That's what the kingdom of God is really like. And so he shows up to his house. They have a meal together around the table. We don't know what the conversation was. I would love if scripture would have listed all the conversation. We don't know what it was. We don't know what the salvation moment looked like for Zacchaeus, but we do know that here's what Jesus declared in verse nine. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation's here. We don't know what happened. We don't know if there's a, a prayer offered or a, a long conversation or a short one, but we know that Zacchaeus was a changed man in that moment. Why? Look at the verse leading up to what Jesus just said. In verse 8, here's what it says. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He was a changed person. All the values he had in his life just got flipped on their head. The things he used to care about, he now doesn't care about. He cares about new things. He's a new person with a changed heart. You know yourself. Think of the habit you wish you could stop right now. The reason you haven't is because it's really hard to change. And Zacchaeus went from years of being a thief and a cheat and a liar and a greedy man who hoarded up. He would have had one of the nicest houses in the city, and suddenly he takes his net worth, cuts it in half, half to the poor. Then after that, I'll go through my records, and everybody I ever cheated, I'll give them back four times more than I ever took. This is massive life change. Like, you can't fake that. You can't snap your fingers and suddenly have everything shift. Only Jesus. Here's how the Apostle Paul explains this. This is called the doctrine of regeneration. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Zacchaeus was literally a different person. He still looked the same, had the same face, the same voice, but inside Jesus had literally made him a new person. That's the beauty of salvation. And listen, when Zacchaeus gave away his stuff and paid people back, that did not earn his salvation. That demonstrated his salvation. Don't miss this. You can't buy your way into Jesus' love and forgiveness for you. Like you can't do enough good things to fix that. But once you experience forgiveness and a new heart and a new creation, your response is that, is repentance. And you can't tell this story without repentance. True forgiveness is demonstrated by a repentant heart. And Zacchaeus was a new person. And we see that his life has flipped upside down. The authentic evidence is that he repented, he changed, he was literally a new person. See, when we talk about salvation here, we're not talking about joining a church or finding religion or making yourself a little bit better. We're talking about the God of the universe giving you a new heart, changing you from the inside out, forgiving your past and writing a new future for you. 
Like if you're a follower of Jesus, that should remind you and stir something in you. I'm a new creation because of Jesus. And when Zacchaeus decided to give back what he stole and make it right, it was an act of repentance. I'm turning from my old life of sin and I'm turning to Jesus. The things I used to chase, I don't chase anymore. Jesus doesn't forgive you and restore you and save you so you could go back to your old life. He says, turn from your old life. You're a new creation in Christ. And that is who Zacchaeus is now. And then Jesus declares, the final verse in the story, Jesus declares one sort of clarifying exclamation point. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. He's declaring this to the city. He's declaring it over the earth. I came to save lost people. And there's no one that is beyond the grace of God, not even this evil dude, Zacchaeus. Jesus picked the most evil and reviled and hated man in the city to make a point. If I can save Zacchaeus, I can save anybody. That's the good news of the gospel. And the story closes with a man that woke up that morning as an evil tax collector, greedy, wicked, cheater, a liar. We ended the day with him just tossing his stuff out the window. It's not even of any value anymore. It doesn't even matter to me anymore. I met Jesus. See, this story would have been an incredible reality show episode. You would have tuned in, I promise. You'd have been hanging out every breath like, wait, this dude is so bad and now he's good. And, and the grace that this man Jesus showed and the crowd was so angry. You hear this story and go, man, that's incredible. And we tend to hear stories like this and we tend to process them intellectually when what God wants to do is to help apply them to your soul, to your heart. See, this story is not designed to be a window to the past. It's designed to be a mirror to your soul. Here's a question that might be worth wrestling down. When you look at the perspectives, the characters in the story, who are you most like in the story? See, when you read stories like this, it's easy to assume, well, I would have probably been like Jesus, right? Stop. I know you. You're not, I'm not Jesus. We're not, you're this, can I just start here? This is not you. This is not your chair. You're over here somewhere. It's just where? <laughs> See, in the story, who are you most like? You like to think. Listen, I want to put all of us in the crowd. You like to think, if I would have lived back then, if I would have been in the crowd, I would have never treated Zacchaeus like that. I don't have that kind of heart in me. I love people. You know why you can say that? Because he's not your Zacchaeus. He didn't steal from you and your family and your future. And he didn't take and rob you from the things you need to just feed your kids. Put yourself in a place where someone does something to you so bad that you have to look at your kids and say, we're not eating until tomorrow. I would have been so nice to him. No, you would not have. You think you would just because he's not your Zacchaeus. Look in your world. Who is your Zacchaeus? If we're all sitting in this seat of the crowd for a second, if you're honest, there's people in your world that might not follow Jesus yet, but they have hurt you. They've taken something from you. They've wounded you. They've given you baggage. Maybe it's a boss or a teacher that makes you feel small and unimportant. 
Maybe it's a neighbor that you're just like this. You're always complaining back and forth, and he's talking about how your shrubs are too tall and you should mow it twice a week, not once, and you're like, shut up, I have a job, old man. Like, that might be your Zacchaeus. Maybe it's a friend who stabbed you in the back or hurt you. Maybe it's even your own spouse or a family member that, man, you got baggage. And if you're honest, you might not be as blatant or overt as the crowd was, but the way you feel about that person. If Jesus showed up and they were in the tree, you'd go, take them out, Jesus. See, maybe your Zacchaeus is a person who thinks different than you or votes different than you or looks or lives different than you. Maybe it's, it's a, a political yard sign that you have to pass in the neighborhood every day. And when you drive by, you're like, it makes me want to puke when I see that thing. That'd be your Zacchaeus. There's people who have different values that they built their life on than you. And you go, what an idiot. You're ruining this country. You're ruining this thing. And you don't realize it, but you're sitting in this seat and you're looking at your Zacchaeus and you feel just like the crowd did. See, let me tell you what the crowd messed up. We're all sitting in this seat for now, but let me tell you what the crowd actually did. They sat in Jesus' seat. They didn't know it. But they sat here and they assumed that when Jesus showed up, Jesus would hate the same people they did. If your view of Jesus always hates the same things that you do, the same people that you do, the same type of things that you do, you might be at risk of chasing a Jesus that you created. See, the people sat in his seat and said, when Jesus arrives, I am sure he will agree with us about this Zacchaeus guy. Jesus shows up. Hey, Jesus, glad you're here. Been waiting for you. Sit down. What are we going to do with this Zacchaeus guy? I say we kill him, but I don't know. You tell me. And you know what Jesus said? <clears throat> you're in my seat. And they might have said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, Jesus. I was keeping it warm. I'm going to sit here, but at least I don't have to sit over there with that Zacchaeus guy. Right, Jesus? At least I don't have to sit all the way over there with that guy. I'm not as bad as him. You know what he did, right, Jesus? He's a bad dude. Like, my kids didn't eat a couple weeks ago because he stole my money. You, at least I don't have to sit all the way down there. Do you know why people watch reality shows? Because we love to see people's lives who look worse than ours to make us feel better about our own. My life's crazy, but it's not Kardashian crazy. I watch those shows and go, I'm pretty good, if you want to be honest. I've not been to jail recently. I think I'm okay. And what the people did was they made Zacchaeus their reality show that made them feel better about who they were. And you know what Jesus would say? You're wrong again. Because in the kingdom of God, there's not three seats. There's only two. There's no middle ground that the, the crowd's a little bit better than Zacchaeus. In the kingdom of God, there's only two seats. Jesus and people who desperately need Jesus. And maybe God brought you here to remind you, listen to me, to remind you of your seat. There's only two, two places to sit and you ain't Jesus. And the gospel says this, listen, there are only two seats and what you want to do is find the person who's worse than you, crazier than you, and make yourself feel one notch better like the crowd did. And you think when Jesus shows up, he'll agree with you. 
and he'll justify the way you treat them. See, maybe this daymaker calling will make more sense to you inside this Zacchaeus story. We talk about God's created us and called us to be daymakers. Can I tell you what daymakers do? Our calling as daymakers is this. We don't make people climb trees to see Jesus. That's better than the response. I'm going to say it again. Pretend I didn't say it. Let's start. You know what our daymaker calling is? We don't make people climb trees to see Jesus. The crowd thought they were better than him, and they put up a barrier. You don't get to see him. That's my Jesus coming. My Messiah is coming. He's coming to overthrow the government and the people that hurt me, and he's going to make my life better now. Keep that Zacchaeus out of my kingdom. But if you're a daymaker, you know what daymakers do? They realize I'm no better than Zacchaeus. I used to be Zacchaeus. Listen, all of us in every room, every home gathering, every campus, you are all Zacchaeus, myself included. It's just for you Zacchaeus before Jesus or after. But you don't graduate from this group. You still need Jesus. And it might not be obvious to you yet, but listen, Jesus made Zacchaeus' day. I'm coming to your house, bro. And then Jesus, his kindness to Zacchaeus led Zacchaeus to repenting. And then Zacchaeus flipped the script and he became a daymaker for every person he ever hurt. That's our prayer as daymakers. Listen, maybe this week that magnet we gave you a couple weeks ago that the person you're praying for, maybe you need to write the name of your Zacchaeus on that magnet. And you begin to pray, Jesus, I pray that salvation would come to their home. God, give me opportunities to show them Jesus. I'm not going to make him climb a tree to see you. I'm going to let him see Jesus through the way I love him. That's our calling as a daymaker. And what happened with the crowd is they got something better than they could have ever imagined. The best they could hope for was that Jesus would take Zacchaeus out of their life. And Jesus said, I have a different plan. What if I just change Zacchaeus' heart and keep him in your life? And now Zacchaeus follows Jesus. He lives generously. Think about the relationships that would have been restored and repaired and healed and years of hurt and isolation for Zacchaeus. And suddenly he's back in his family again. See, what God could do if every Zacchaeus bowed to Jesus. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.